Hey, so we're uh, still staying in the Old Testament, but we're going to jump ahead a little bit today, and we're going to look at Psalm 143. You should have received a copy of it. If you have your own Bible, you want to turn there now. Um, And if you want uh, a pen to just kind of make some notes, it's kind of fun as you work through a work through a psalm to, to mark it up as you, as you make your way through. Um, I was at a point this past summer where I was praying for something going on in my life and I ran, I, I, I ran out of prayers. I didn't know what to pray anymore. I didn't know how to pray anymore. So I turned to the psalms. And when I got to this, to this psalm, to Psalm 143, I was like, this is it. It's, it starts... You know, listen to my prayer, God, hear my cry for mercy, and your righteousness and faithfulness come to my relief. And I was like, this is, this is perfect. Thank you, Jesus, for showing me the psalm. And I went looking for help praying, but what I got was so, so much more. Uh, over the course of the summer, I also spent a lot of time listening to podcasts from the guys at the Bible Project. And they talk a lot about Scripture, and specifically the Old Testament, as meditation literature, not meditation in the sense of like emptying your mind, but meditation in the ancient Hebrew sense of returning to the same piece of text over and over and over again throughout your life and letting it, letting it speak to you as, as God, the text kind of reads you. Um, the Old Testament is full of references as to why this is a good idea. I want to point to two specifically. The first one is Psalm 1. Verses 1 and 2, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Right? Literally, the word meditate means to mutter, to say, to repeat a word. Keep that law on, on your mind day and night. The next one is from Joshua chapter 1. Actually, you know, the whole book of Psalms is full of um, references to the benefits of meditating on, on God's word. This is from Joshua chapter one. This is when Joshua is assuming leadership from Moses. Moses had just passed away. And the Lord is saying this to Joshua. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you might be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. All right, so In those verses themselves, Scripture tells us to meditate on Scripture. It tells us as a result of meditating on Scripture, we will be blessed, we will be prosperous, we will be successful. Uh, Another, I don't know, maybe obvious, maybe less obvious, benefit of meditating on Scripture is a better understanding of Scripture. You see, this meditating on Scripture, returning to the same passages again and again and again, and looking for how they connect to the rest of Scripture— that's the way scripture was written to be engaged. The authors, as God was working through them and speaking to them, what was put into our Bible was written in a specific way. It wasn't just the specific words, but in the way it was written for us to engage in it in this, in this repeated, repeated manner. So um, I mentioned that it's not, this is not meditation in the sense that we're emptying our minds, nor is it... Um, nor is it like a magic spell or an incantation, right? We don't just repeat words hoping that the mere act of repeating or reciting words will m- cause us to be blessed or make us prosperous or successful. Um, what it does as we return to these passages of Scripture, we begin to see the connectedness, the connectedness of all of Scripture. 
we see themes emerge, we see words pop up, and they kind of jump off the page at us. It's like, I remember that. Kind of like the teaching that I did when we gathered at, uh, at Center Stage, and we looked at the, the phrase, you know, be fruitful and increase in number, and how that kept coming up in the book of Genesis. Right, so that's how meditation works. So here's something, try, try this, okay? Now that we've, we've completed the Genesis portion of our character study of the Old Testament, as you're going through your own time with the Lord, go back through Genesis now and, and pick one of the characters we looked at and reread it. Spend a week rereading the same passage. Look for, look for words and themes. Go back and reread through Genesis and see what the Lord speaks to you in those passages now that you kind of have them grounded and you're returning to them for another time. All right, so here's what I want to do with the, the rest of our time this morning. I'm going to read Psalm 143. Um, it's 12 verses in its entirety. I'm going to say a few things kind of quickly about the text, and then I'm going to turn it over to you guys, and I want to hear from you what you feel like God might be impressing upon you through, through this text. Sound good? And you guys uh, watching online, too, the same thing. We're going to ask for, for your thoughts and your comments in, uh, in the chat box. So please be... Please be ready for that. All right, this is Psalm 143, a psalm of David. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. So my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your namesake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. Okay. <clears throat> so it's a, it's a beautiful psalm. Let's remember, psalms are poetry. right? So it's not just the words but it's also the way that they were put together, the order. There's lots and lots of meaning to be found just in the way the psalm is constructed. For example, we look at the beginning and the end, verse 1 and verse 11. David, David is the one who wrote the psalm. He refers to the Lord's righteousness. It's the, it's, this is all hanging on the Lord's righteousness. This has nothing to do with David and his righteousness. He comes back to it at the end. He starts with it. He ends with it. He also starts with the idea of him being a servant of God. He starts with that idea, and he ends with that idea. It's just a fun word. It's called an inclusio. It's a bookend, right, on either side, the beginning of the text, the end of the text. So, so that tells you that David is stressing those things, that we, he wants us, the reader, to focus on, to remember God's righteousness and our position, his position before God as a servant. Verse 1 Right? This is called a parallelism, where the, where the psalmist will use, he'll repeat himself, essentially, in different words. Here, listen, come to my relief. David is coming before God, and he really, really needs him to come through. 
Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one is living, no one living is righteous for you. David is not like calling everybody else out, saying, No, none of us. He's he's pointing the finger at himself, saying, God, please do not bring your judgment on me, because I am not righteous before you. I am completely dependent upon your righteousness. The enemy pursues me, he crushes me to the ground. So we're not exactly sure when David wrote this, if it was before he became king and the current king Saul was chasing him around trying to kill him, or if it was after he became king and his son Absalom, who had kind of overthrown him, was chasing him around and trying to kill him. Either way, he's got a significant enemy, just like we do in Satan, that pursues us, right? He pursues us. And I, I want to point something out. Like, So I said I started reading the psalm over the summer and I committed it to memory and each time I say it I feel like God brings a different verse to my attention especially these first three verses whether it's just pleading with God to hear my prayer or using it as a as a, a statement of confession God I, please do not bring me into judgment because I'm not righteous before you or just the state of affairs that I'm in that I feel like I'm being attacked um, just really really cool the way that this psalm is set up my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. So a lot of times there are different Bible translations. And often we'll look at a Bible translation and we're like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go read New Living Translation. I'll go read the message paraphrase to help me maybe get a little better handle on it. When I was working my way through this, I went back to the King James Version. right? And I went back to the New American Standard Version, which are more literal translations, more word for word. That word dismayed in the King James is trans, translated as desolate, alone, and overwhelmed, right? The, just We get a feel for what a bad spot David is in. His spirit is growing fate, and he feels alone and overwhelmed. And then he comes back to, these, these are good practices in, in any time, right? To come before God, to remember what he's done, to meditate, right? We can meditate not just on his word, but on the things that he's done in our lives and for us and all around us. Um, and we consider everything that God's hands have done. The, we've been talking a lot recently about joy moments and appreciations and gratitudes. That's what David is doing right here. He's, he's trying to get his mind back in that, that good place and the things that God has, who God is and what he's done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you. The, the posture of spreading out your hands is like, God, I'm open to receive what you have for me. Whatever it is, God. Me and my silly movie references, right? I think about the, like the martial arts movies, and the guy's like, it's like, come on, God, I, I want what you have for me. Please, what, Stace? Yes, thank you. Thank you. She was trying to mouth it to me, and I couldn't read her lips. Yes, The Matrix, that's it. <clears throat> um, and then he says thirst, and he's, so he's communicating his need, right? The thirst, like a parched land. His, he's open to what God has for him because he needs it so, so desperately. Answer me quickly, Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me. This would be a fun theme kind of word study to do. Go through the book of Psalms, the Old Testament, and look at all the references to God's face. The psalmist pleads with God not to turn his face from him, right? Because that would be a symbol of rejection. He wants God's face. This um, kind of the, the Hebrew idiom that goes along with this is special access to the king, to be in front of the king and have special access access to him. The Psalm, David in Psalm 51 asked God to turn his face from his sins, right? So we, we want God to be there and for us. We don't want him to look at our sins. 
But anyways, the, the idea of God's, God's face and the joy of him, of him being with us, his joy being with us, our joy being with him. Again, in, uh, in the King James, between verse 7 and verse 8 is that Hebrew word selah, which a lot of scholars tell us just means to pause, right? So to just stop and kind of think. That first part is David kind of setting up how he's doing, what's going on, why he feels the way he feels. Um, and now this is where his prayer kind of really starts to kick in, right? He wants God's unfailing love. He's looking for direction, and he's looking for protection, right? Presence, direction, and protection. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. There are some things that God, only God can do, right? Only God can save us. Only God can forgive us. Only God has the grace that sustains all of this, that keeps the world spinning and our systems running. Only God can do those things. There are things that we have to do, that we have to grow in our ability, that we have to mature in. So he's asking God, teach me to do your will. Increase my ability to know your will and to follow it. And then he kind of wraps up the psalm by um, by basically reiterating the prayer. For your namesake, Lord, preserve my life, and your righteousness bring me out of trouble, and your unfailing love silence my enemies, destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. By way of summary, right, David had a couple of problems. He had an enemy, at least one, that was pursuing him. He had his own sin that was set against him, and he was overwhelmed by his emotions. He was soul weary. His soul was exhausted and he felt alone. So what was David asking for? He was asking for God's mercy, right? His forgiveness. He was asking for God's presence, that unfailing love, that he would know that unfailing love. He was asking for God's guidance and direction and he was asking for God's protection from his enemies. And then the last piece, how was he asking for it? How was David approaching God? He approached him um, recognizing that he was the servant. He would, came before his master asking for his master's mercy. He came before him, so we could summarize that by saying humbly. Right? He came before him in trust. To you, Lord, I entrust my life. And he came before him in worship by remembering the things that God has done and, and calling and calling those things out. All right, so I know I went really fast, but like I said, I wanted to give you guys a chance to, to share what you're thinking. So I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna read through the whole thing again, so all 12 verses, and then um, Patrick's got the microphone, and if you guys feel like sharing what God might be impressing upon you through Psalm 143, I would love to hear it. That goes for you guys uh, participating online as well. So here we go. This is again Psalm 143. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me 
or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your namesake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. So there's a lot, lot of stuff in there. Um, and one of the things that it's really, as we look at Scripture, we read something, we feel maybe it pops out at us, and it's good to ask, God, what is it you want me to take away from this? What are you trying to say to me in this verse? And a really key component of that is sharing that with other people. Right, This is a little bit different setting, but it's good to do it here. But it's also good to have a buddy or a friend or somebody like, hey, I was reading this morning, and I really felt like God was saying this. What do you think? To share that, to kind of um, to check yourself as, you, as, as a, a step. So um, would love to hear what you guys have to say. Bruce, if you haven't already, we can go to that super source. We good? All right, guys, what do you think? Hi, Tom. Is this on? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I, the, the word that jumped out at me here is teach me to do your will. And I was thinking that uh, over the years, I'm not even sure I prayed this consciously. And, 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 and maybe it's important to know that you got to be careful what you pray for. <laughs> um, but I know that God has uh, reminded me and taught me over the years um, through those tough times when when I was low and down, and I would turn to him, and he would uh, uh, be there with me and walk alongside and, and get things righted and going good. And then as I would be prideful, as you talked about before, thinking I solved the problem, <laughs> um, I would go through that cycle again and be down and out, and then turning to God again, looking for help, and he would help me again. And until I finally uh, was on my knees uh, and, and praying for uh, this to never happen again, uh, I realized that it was time for me to commit daily to uh, learning more about God and being with God, and that the good things that I get uh, were not a result of my brilliance or talents, but a result of God's gifts and his grace and his love, his willingness to lead and to walk alongside and encourage me. So I think about that teaching thing, and I think about how much I've lost uh, learned, excuse me, in spite of the fact that I haven't consciously said, Lord, teach me. Um, he has. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's that daily returning to scripture, right? To keeping God's word in front of us. Patrick, I think Ed had a, was trying to get your attention right, right next to Scott. So what really stuck with me today is the whole notion of the, notion of the enemy. And a lot of times you wake up and it's like you think there's God and there's you and you're kind of trying to follow God and just forget the fact that somebody is out there trying to get in the way of that. And I think just that remembrance and that consciousness of it uh, reminds me to, there's, you know, there's gonna be times to hide from the enemy and times to avoid the enemy and times to stand up against the enemy, but just that reminder out there that, that I'm being pursued by more than one. 
and, and to and be conscious of that, I think, is a, is a good reminder today. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it is easy to get caught up in, in the pace of life. And, um, but then there are other times, right, when we're, we're all too aware that there's somebody out there working, working against us. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Uh, the verse 10 stuck out to me on the part that said, may your good spirit lead me on level ground. Mm-hmm where level makes me think of a balance and where it's equal. And in other versions, it also will say right path or righteousness. And it just makes me think about how, when I'm doing things, am I you know, considering my own biases? Am I, am I making sure that I am looking through Christ's eyes at those that I'm dealing with? Good word, thank you. Other thoughts? That, um, that's Carly back there. Hi, Carly. Hi. So I think verse 12 just really stuck out to me where it says, like, silence my enemies, destroy all my foes, for I'm your servant. And I think for me it's just, like, sometimes I forget just how strong God is, and I kind of think, like, oh, I have to do this on my own. Like, they're my problems. Like, I'm the one that's going to be able to do this when – you know, I'm not the one, like, I'm not able to do this. And so it's just, like, a good reminder that, like, he's the one that kind of creates everything, and he's the one that's able to have that power to silence all of my enemies. And so I just thought that was, like, a really good reminder, at least for me, that, like, you know, it's in his power, not in mine. Right. Yeah, and I think um, I, this is just my own speculation. I think that as in a lot of David's Psalms, you hear that phrase, in your unfailing love. And I think he's, David is reminding himself that God's unfailing love is that protective, powerful, like overcoming, overcoming love. That's a great, great point. Anybody else? We got time for one or two more. Bill's up here, got his hand up. Oh, and Ruben's also, you just walked by him, but that's okay. Um, the verse that stood out to me was uh, verse number six. I sp- I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Um, this is something that I kind of feel felt like I've been praying for lately. Um, you know, I, I've been asking God to, sh- you know, f- show me more of the word. And um, I've been praying about that lately. And it's just a reminder that God is real because he has put me around some good people uh, to fellowship and, and just do that. So... That's the one that stuck out to me the most. That's great, Ruben. Thanks for sharing that with us. It's really cool when God, like when we have something on our mind and then God confirms it for us. It's like, okay, I better pay attention. (laughs) What's up, Bill? So uh, also verse 6 stood out to me, but but before that, verse 3, the enemy pursues me, he crushes me to the ground, he makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead and I think David is truly in a fight for his life here uh, as he battles depression. And in my own experience with depression, uh, I know that uh, you get to the point where you sometimes feel that uh, death might be the only answer uh, because you can get that low. And, uh, but in verse 6, well, verse 5, uh, David says, you know, he, he, he brings back memories of 
of before he was depressed. So what do I do when I'm in this darkness? You know, where do I put my thoughts? Do I put them on the, the current darkness that's there, or do I go back to the memories that God has been faithful and just and loving? And in verse 6, he spreads out his hands, and that to me is a form of surrender. And when I'm depressed, who do I surrender to? Do I surrender to the enemy and say, okay, you got me, bring me down to the place of death and darkness? Or do I spread my hands out to God? And do I thirst for his word? Do I draw close to him? Do I open my Bible? And for me, it's that spreading my hands and surrendering to God, not the enemy, and going back to his word that brings me out of the depths of darkness. Amen. Amen. That, um, yeah, there was a, a point um, several years ago where I had just gotten so wrapped up in uh, just the, the hard circumstances that we were in the midst of, and that was all I was focused on. And I'm like, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I'm like, and finally the Holy Spirit was kind of like, it's like, stop looking at all the stuff and look at me. And that's where, and I started saying to you guys all the time, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's exactly, I think, what, what you're saying is try not to get just so fixated on, the, on that hard stuff and remember who God is and, and what he's done. The, um, if somebody, I had another thought, I wanted to respond to Bill, but if somebody else says, please, Patrick, get you the microphone. I think not only was, was David possibly depressed in this, but I think he was also afraid because when I read that, um, like those who dwell in the darkness, like the first thing that came to my mind was like being a little kid and laying in bed just absolutely terrified of like what was in the dark, like what was under my bed, what was in my car, like just not knowing of, of what was there. And that was, that's the impression, like that, man, David was like really, he was, not only was he depressed, but he was, he was afraid of what, what might happen. Any other thoughts? In the back? Is that Adam? So one thing that stood out for me was the end of verse 8 and then going to verse 9. So it says, show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. And what stood out to me was just that, like, this aspect of control and not us retaining control, but submitting that control of our lives. And that's been something I think the Lord's been showing me in the last few months is just that, like, I want to take control of my life. I want to have, like, just knowing what's going on, be, have some element of that in my life. But I think what the Lord's been telling me as of late is just that I need to submit that control fully to him. And what it says in the verse 8, like, for I entrust my life to you. And just that element that like, if I'm really going to step into what he wants for me, I have to be willing to submit myself to him, trust in his ways. And then I just like the image it said in verse 9, like, for I hide myself in you, like, David admits his despair, admits everything that he's going on. He is choosing to turn to the Lord and comfort himself, like, like the image of a kind of like just a kid like wrapping themselves in a blanket or in the arms of a parent, just like he's choosing to put himself in the grasp of a loving father in the same way. Just that element that like we, myself included, especially just have to be willing to just give up that element of wanting to retain control and just come into the loving grasp of the father to see what his goodwill is for us. So that's one thing that set out for me. Thanks, Adam. What a what a great image! Like the the arms of a parent wrapped up wrapping up a a child. Um, 
Maria's online. She's saying, uh, it's a, verse 10 is a reminder that um, we cannot live life alone. We need God to, to help and to lead us onto that, that level ground. When we remember God is in control, we find peace. And for that, she is grateful. And uh, MJ said, thanks, Bill, for sharing those words. She appreciated them. Um, so I just wanted to kind of wrap up our time with um, focusing back on that, that term in verse 12. And David says that a little bit earlier, but refers to that God's unfailing love. Right, the, that's the, the deepest, the word that I love, it's the deepest, um, most fierce, most faithful, enduring love that, that, that the authors had, like that connection that God has, that it's his unfailing love. It's his, it's that attachment, it's that hardwiring that we have in us that causes us to search for something to be attached to. And God created us to have that attachment, to rely on his unfailing love, right? And for a variety of reasons, we end up attaching ourselves to other things sometimes, and they get in the way, um, or they flat out just hurt us and lead us, lead us astray. But it's God's unfailing love, regardless. And this is kind of the thought that I wanted to, to leave you with, is that the unfailing love of God is greater than our most shameful sin, our most tenacious enemy, the most confusing situation, and the most overwhelming of circumstances. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, you are, you are so good. We thank you that we are the recipients of that unfailing love that love that sticks to us like glue. God, that no matter how far we run or how far we fall or how high we climb, God, that that love still envelops us. Like Adam said, like the arms of a parent. We thank you for that love. God, we thank you for the gift of each other. God, we thank you. Um, I thank you for the words that each person shared and the thoughts that you're putting on each person's heart and minds, even, even right now, God, would you, um, would you just speak even louder and more clearly as we, as we go on our ways uh, throughout the rest of the day? God, thank you for the gift of your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would encourage us, that you would prompt us, that you would um, call to us to be in your word regularly so that we might hear from you and that we might continue to be shaped into your likeness. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Amen.